In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hello and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Amy. And I'm Erin. And this is a special Broads and Books bonus episode. Erin, quarantine can't keep us down. No. No. You're damn right it can't. We've been recording our weekly episodes via Zoom. And as we've said, it's been fine. It's not, yeah. it's not as fun as normal. No. But we are pushing ahead because we want to provide the best of content to you listeners. Yes. But then what we did this week was we added one of our favorite authors and the conversation just became incredible. It absolutely did. Today on the Broads Talk Books with, we've got Andrea Lawler. I recommended Paul Takes the Form of a Mortal Girl in episode 36. We got Andrea on Zoom and it just, they lifted our damn spirits. Really did. Andrea cracked us up. And gave us incredible ideas for our next read. I went to thrift books immediately and bought way too many books. So I'll just let you know that. We also talked about secretly dirty classic books, mm-hmm. our troubles with reading right now, the one book Andrea recommends everyone read, and the weird things that we all find ourselves doing during quarantine. You can find all of the books that Andrea mentions in the show notes on your podcast player and our website. Just go ahead. Add them to your TBR pile. A few more dozen is not going to hurt. It's Second fine. Hurt. Yeah, it's no. Fine. Yeah. And now here's our interview with Andrea Luller. When you were a kid, when you were a teenager, did you have favorite books that, uh, that you kept returning to that you really remember very well? Absolutely. 
Yeah, I was um, I was a kid who mostly went to the library after school till my parents got off work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read a lot, and I'm an only child, so also there was a lot of reading, um, just a lot of being alone and reading. I I was obsessed from a pretty early age with the Dallaire's Book of Greek Mythology, which yes. is very beautiful um, illustrations and great stories. Um, that's not particularly surprising. I was, I was a kid who kept returning over and over to the same series of books, which I think a lot of people do. Um, but the Dark is Rising series by Susan Cooper, uh, the, the Ursula Le Guin's Earthsea books, yes. um, uh, the Tripod series by John Christopher, uh, there were just like a lot of, I mean, I read the Narnia books. I read things like that. All of like all of Madeline Langle because she wrote like 30 books. So I like to get a writer and then read everything. I was a completist, which was of course a failed project as a child. I had this idea that I would just keep a list. I would read everything in the children's library in my town and I would keep a list. And then at some point I was just working through the shelves mm-hmm. and I realized that they were getting new books. Oh. And then my mind exploded <laughs> and nothing has ever been okay since. It's fine. It's actually great. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. It is exciting. But yeah, I think that um, even as a kid, I read very quickly mm-hmm. and poorly. How so? What do you mean poorly? Well, I think, you know, if you read quickly, you're often reading poorly. Well, that's true. So I, um, I would read something quickly and then like immediately reread it. Or, you know, like read the same series over, like every year I would read like the same series of books um, as a kid. And I think, you know, they would often feel fresh because I had read them quite badly the first time, (laughs) which which I don't think is a a problem. It was just like a way to read. Um, I was certainly reading for escape. And I was also the type of kid who would take a large stack of books from the library and just read them all, return them, get another large stack. So, yeah. Always, I really always identified as a reader more than anything else, mm-hmm. and still do. Well, one of the things some of our listeners have brought up, and we talked about a couple times, was that early in our reading lives, we encountered books that were supposed to be wonderful, or were supposed to be like the gateway into great reading classics. Usually, they're called, and yeah. we um, explained classics that we struggled with, and why we kind of set those aside in our reading lives. Is there any classics that you struggled with, or said, "Yeah, that's not where I'm going." Yeah. Ours was no. Moby Dick. <laughs> oh, that's I actually love Moby Dick. But um, when I was a, a kid, I actually often found myself reading things that were like sort of under the sign of classics because they were often secretly dirty. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, this is great. Like all these adults think I'm like being, doing all this extra work or being so fancy, but really it's the dirty parts. And they're like, for instance, much dirtier than Judy Bloom when you get into like Colette or D.H. Lawrence or whatever. So I was sort of like, I'll read this dusty old book on the shelf. You don't know what's in there. And the skimming really helped too. The reading quickly helped because you need to find the dirty parts. Um, But I will say that there is a book that, there's a number of books I've never read. There's some books I haven't read and I feel right, rightfully I feel ashamed. Um, Like I, I am ashamed that I've never read any Austin or any of the Brontes. And I think that has to do with gendered ideas. I had a, strong sense like in high school that those were like books for girls yeah and you know with gender stuff going on 
I think I was just sort of like pushing away from such things. Mm -hmm. I have now um, probably seen every adaptation from every country and every language of every Austin and every Bronte <laughs> finished and unfinished book. Um, and I've seen them more than once. And that's down to my, my partner um, who still is, I think, flabbergasted that I haven't read those books. Um, and I will someday, but now it's sort of like the pressure. Uh, I, it's to the movies, they're going to be different. And you know, Yeah, I think yeah. they're probably amazing books. People I respect love them. Um, the, there's a couple other books. There's a book, um, there's a big book. I was in high school, or maybe it was before I was in high school, but when I was in high school, people kept saying um, that I needed to read this Milan Kundera book, um, The Unbearable Lightness of Being. Yeah. And I will tell you that I am still waiting for the hype to die down. <laughs> so eventually, maybe I'll read that, maybe not. A book I read a couple of pages of and threw across the room because I hated so much and I will stand by it is David Foster Wallace Foster, Foster Wallace, David Foster Wallace's Invisible Jest. Infinite Jest? Infinite Jest. I don't know. I read like maybe one to two pages and I did. I threw a brand new hardcover. I was working at NYU Press at the time. I was probably 26 years old. Um, there was a brand new hardcover. And I threw it across, I threw it actually across the office and I broke the spine of a brand new hardcover. I, I think that the dude bro who worked as an editorial assistant at that time, I think he might've cried, um, <laughs> but I felt so good that I've never looked back. I've also never read any Pynchon. Yeah, there's no need. I'm it not sorry about a, that. Yeah, you made a dude bro cry. So that's really a, a life I've, goal right there. That's, that's a... That's a win. Well, that's a, I get out of bed like that. Yeah. <laughs> but thinking about, you know, the books that you reread and then the books that you didn't like. Yeah. At around that age or maybe after, did you have books that turn that light on? Like, this makes me want to write. Like, I want Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, so many. Mm -hmm. So, so, so many. Some earlier, some, like, some really formative books for me were um, in terms of like, I want to write. Eileen Miles is Not Me, which came out probably 91 or 92, and I think I probably encountered right around the time it came out. Um, that book completely infected me with language, and that, that single book changed my life entirely. Samuel Delaney's Stars in My Pocket, Like Grains of Sand, is a book that does a turn that I hadn't encountered after the first chapter or the first section, I hadn't encountered it before. I was probably 18 when I read it. And it, it did give me a sense of like, in terms of structure, not content, this was something new that you could do with fiction. Um, but in terms of content too, the idea of like, you know, this like super intense queer, you know, BDSM relationship in space also I think was inspiring. Um, and, and Delaney's, memoir the motion of light and water gave me a sense of possibility of like what it might be like to live a life as a queer artist yeah. so those those books um but probably the single book that really gave me the sense of like wait a minute i i actually maybe could do this was michelle t's the passionate mistakes and intricate corruption of one girl in america michelle and i are the same age like really exactly the same age and i didn't know her at that point 
because it came out on Semiotex. It was her first book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does talk about how she's from Chelsea, Mass., which is this like really, you know, working class uh, mill town in New England. It's in, in Massachusetts, which is very similar to the town I grew up in in Connecticut. When I read that book, because I liked Semiotex books and I saw, oh, a new book by Semiotex. Oh, it's queer. And I picked it up and I read it and I thought, oh my God. And what she was doing aesthetically too was completely beyond anything I'd seen. And I think to see somebody who had similar cultural references, both sort of like the private kind of like growing up in this crappy New England, you know, dead mill town, and then the kind of public queer aspects, that combination, and then sort of like writing in this kind of like more experimental vein that, you know, I think it was probably under the sign of memoir at the time, but maybe you would think of it as auto fiction. I don't even know how Michelle would talk about her work, but I remember walking down the street reading it in, in, on 7th Avenue, like when you would walk down the street and bump into people because you were carrying a book, not a phone. But I, I remember doing that and thinking, I have read a book. And it was, it was like inspiration and like maybe there was a tiny bit of competitiveness. Um, but I was just like, all right, gauntlet thrown, Michelle T, whoever you are. <laughs> and then later I got to meet her and she's amazing and she's totally like changed my life in infinite ways. She and Eileen Miles are like some of the, the most unbelievably supportive of other writers, writers I've ever met. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, so... Well, we talked a little bit about we're moving now into a little bit of your reading life now. So we, at the beginning, talked about how unrealistic our to-be-read piles are. Um, are there any that you could share right now that are on your to-be-read pile? Oh, it is. It's bad. It's, there's a to-be-read pile next to my bed. Say, are we seeing the ones behind you? No, those are, those are books that I'm, you know, so most of my books, I have a small child, and most of my books have been I've moved them to my office at at school um but now I can't go to my office at school so I have only what I grabbed the last day I could be on campus and what was sort of like you know stuff for current classes and then a couple things that have come since mostly you know some review copies and stuff like that um but these are books I've either recently read or thinking about teaching um there's a pile next to my bed but in terms of of on a to-be-read pile that I'm really, oh, it's so painful. Um, Marlon James's book, where the heck is it? Uh, Black Leopard, Black Wolf. Yeah, yeah. I haven't read, it's, it, it feels like it was written for me and I haven't read it and it's just been sitting there taunting me. Um, I don't know about you, I can't focus right now. I can't read I was anything. Just ask that because Aaron yeah. and I have talked multiple times about how we're we're struggling with reading right now. Totally struggling. Part of it is just like so much reading for work on the screen. And then with my kid, it's wonderful. We're reading like three or four hours a day. We read out loud. My kid's not reading yet. Or he's learning to read. He's starting to read. But um, we do a lot of reading. Doing a lot of reading. So I'm reading a lot of things that are not necessarily what I would choose, but they do fit in. But another thing on my to-be-read list that I'm dying to read, and this has been on my to-read list for like two years, Daisy Johnson's Everything Under, um, and then a, a poet, I, a writer I, I just adore and admire, Anna Maria Hong, sent me this book, 15 Dogs by Andre Alexis. That's so exciting. Yeah. You know, 
the you've mentioned a few already, but are there any books that are either available now or that are coming soon that have just really surprised you recently? Like you, you didn't you didn't know about yeah. the author, you didn't know the book. Oh well, the, yeah, I'll do that in a minute. But a book that I just finished reading um, by an author I knew and I loved his first book. The author Carter Sickles has a book called The Prettiest oh. Star, and oh, it's coming out really, really soon. But the book is about this young gay guy who, uh, you know, goes home to his poor Midwestern town to essentially die of HIV-related complications in, you know, the early 90s. Oh, wow. And it's devastating. So that was surprising and delightful. Um, like, there's a great new memoir um, by my friend Cooper Lee Bombardier. It's called Pass With Care. And it's creative nonfiction, linked essays. Um, it's on Daughter, Jennifer Baumgartner's new press. Um, she used to be the ED of Feminist Press, and then she broke out with this great new press that does these, like, really cool kids' books. And this is a lot to do with, like, coming of age as a trans man and Cooper's time in Provincetown and San Francisco and Arizona and all these different places. There's a book that's not that new, but I'm in the middle of it. But I've been in the middle of it for a while because I keep having to put it down. It's called Tentacle. And it's uh, Rita, Indiana. And it is um, post-apocalyptic Santo Domingo. Uh, it's like Yoruba ritual, queer, trans, you know, utopian. Great. Super exciting so far. I'm like a quarter of the way in. How many books do you think you read at once? You said you were in the middle. It is bad. Well, you know, because it's like the <laughs> read. Yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah. if I'm reading like, you know, if Sally Rooney would fucking finish her, her next book, please, Sally Rooney, if you can hear me. <laughs> I can't you take it anymore. Yeah, she'll, sure. she'll hear you. Um, yeah. But, you know, I would, I would just read that mm -hmm. at a time. <laughs> you know, uh, there's some books I just, it's like, okay, these books just take over your world. Yeah. Um, and there's some books, and for me, I will say that almost all poetry and nonfiction into the category of I'm reading them at the same time as other things. Mm -hmm. And as well as more sort of experimental or innovative fiction or short stories. I'm rarely reading a book of short stories straight through. Mm -hmm. There's a great book of short stories called Salt Slow by Julia Armitage. Mm -hmm. um, and it's super weird and beautiful and dense and magic realist and queer. And I've been like parceling out the stories, Oh, that's you know, great. Yeah. Or like Kimberly King Parsons, mm -hmm. um, fantastic collection, Blacklight. I've been parceling out those stories. Like I've, I've read Glow Hunters like 15 times. It came out like last year, but there's like three or four stories I haven't even read yet in that book. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but if there's a really gripping novel, I will just go, monogamous with it mm -hmm. there's a certain kind of like a if there's like a social realist novel um or if there's a certain kind of science fiction and sometimes like a ya book i can just sink in yeah that is ultimately my preference mm -hmm. but yeah. i i feel like my attention is always really diffuse and i'm always being and this is a great problem this isn't a problem but my challenge is that i'm being asked to read lots of stuff, student work, my friends' work, collaborators' work, work I'm judging or evaluating for various categories, mm -hmm. blurbing. Like, so it's like, it's, these are, it's like a really excellent, perfect storm of teaching and editing and, and everything else that goes along with that. So it's great. I mean, I'm sure you guys are dealing with this all the time, yeah. 
but it's rare to be like, oh, I have nothing to do but sink into this one delicious novel. Absolutely. Yeah. And what we're, we're so frustrated because this would ideally be that time. But I mean, for who? Like, yeah. <laughs> we're in a fucking yeah. global trauma. Yeah, exactly. Literally everyone on the planet is traumatized yes. if they weren't already. Yes. Right, yeah. We had The Expanse, you know? Like, one episode of The Expanse tonight for a couple of weeks, that helped. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. go to space on television. That's my feeling and then hopefully but but you know and then then I hope the writers for the expanse can keep writing I hope all those guys are writing and reading yeah because I want them to get the next season out (laughs) that bad it's like Sally Rooney the writers for the expanse Star Trek Discovery yeah we gotta mean order up people yeah Yeah. (laughs) what are you doing get to work yeah yeah well, you said that you get some stuff, you know, that you blurb for friends or people that you know. Um, outside of that, how do you find book recommendations? Oh, well, you know, actually, um, I'm one of those people who actually doesn't hate social media. I, I hate Twitter. It's too fast for me. Yeah, yeah. I can't deal with it. I'm not on it, and I don't – it's not for me. But I like Instagram because it's usually pretty pictures. So if I see a book cover over and over – Um, from, if I start seeing it over and over, then I pay attention to it. And then I, I see if it's people I know and if it's people I actually know, um, or, you know, sometimes if it's booksellers, I know, because I follow a lot of booksellers and book reviewers, you know, and book podcast type people I follow on Instagram. So that's like a way since, I mean, even before this, I'm not going in bookstores as much as I used to. Mm -hmm. So for me, I used to just find books by like going in bookstores and, and looking at them and also reading reviews, which I think I, I read fewer reviews now mm-hmm. and I, I sort of follow more, you know, Instagram stuff. Um, there are podcasts that I listen to. I only listen to book podcasts. I, should I be embarrassed to say that? Maybe not to you, um, but to others, but to others, I think, you know, other people really that's, and that's great. But I just, it's like, for me, it's like, that would be the one thing that's news I could use. Um, friends, Facebook, again, it's like, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but friends are constantly, you know, people I really like on Facebook who I'm friends with are constantly doing things like, what are you reading right now? And then other people weigh in. And that's actually, I find tons of books that way. That's so cool. It's organic that way. And you kind of trust maybe. Where it feels it nice. I don't know. I'm not judging it. I leave that to Twitter. Yeah. Let Twitter judge me. Right. Aaron runs our Twitter account and I just, I stay out of it. Like I don't. Right. Either. You're, I don't yeah. yeah, I think the best way to describe it, it's so fast. By the time I see something and I have a thought, I'm like, oh, it's over. Okay, I don't, I don't know. know. No, I, don't I mean, know. I took 15 years to finish a novel. Like, I can't be on Twitter. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's like, I'll get that. I'll, I'll, I'll subtweet that in 15 years. Watch out. <laughs> Give me some time. We'll come back on that it's one. Like, I'm, it's not like I, I don't know what it is. I know what it is. Yeah. But by the time I've mastered it to my own satisfaction... We won't have computers anymore. <laughs> the internet's in everybody's heads. Oh, yeah, that's it. I know, it's so fucked. Um, okay, so we recommended Paul Takes the Form of a Mortal Girl. Thank you for that. Books. Yeah, love it. Love that book. Very kind um, of you. Do you, you know, you just said that it took you 15 years. Do you have any particular books in mind that kind of pushed you in the direction in which you 
wrote your novel? Do you have anything that particularly inspired you for that, do you think? I've always been interested in queer books. Mm -hmm. From the time I was a kid, finding whatever I could find. One of the things that has always sort of inspired and um, interested me about queer writing especially is the, the sort of literary attention queer writers have historically paid to sex as a subject for investigation. Okay. So, you know, over the, I didn't take, I wasn't like writing the novel for 15 years. I was, you know, like writing something, putting in a drawer for four years, coming back to it, writing in like little spurts while also going to graduate school and teaching full time, taking a year away from it for emotional problems or because, you know, my partner had our baby, whatever it was. Like I, it was all sort of like economics and this and that. I wasn't like sitting and writing every day straight through for 15 years. Who does that? Proust. Yeah. Um, but over the course of that time, of course, you know, I read a lot and, and those things changed me. I always read a lot of science fiction and fantasy. Like Samuel Delaney, of course, is a huge influence for me. A science fiction writer who writes about queer sex and, and really sorts of like boundary pushing in every direction. Um, and, and his sort of willingness to do that shape what I thought was possible. But the writer John Retchie, his book, City of Night and Numbers, especially Numbers. Um, recently for Center for Fiction, I um, was asked with a bunch of other queer writers to like pick a book that was sort of like in my, like that inspired my book mm -hmm. and like read a section of it um, and talk about it. And I went back to Numbers because I thought, well, this is a, in many ways the most obvious choice. It's about this guy um, who, Johnny Rico, he's, he's like in town and he's like over the course of 10 days, he's trying to figure out, he's trying to, he counts how many people he has sex with. Mm -hmm. um, and he's like keeping count and it's a thing. And there's a little reference to it in Paul. Um, and there's a little pastiche of, of Retchie's writing because it's very particular. Um, and it's kind of like my, my love letter to John Retchie is, is like secretly in the book. Um, but as I was rereading numbers before this event, I was like, oh shit. I kind of rewrote that book. Like, you know, like it really, there's so many of Ratchie's concerns that were my concerns. Um, and it, I didn't, you know, it has nothing to do with shape shifting and it's just, but there, there's a lot in it that feels really like the quest and, and the compulsion and the sort of, yeah. And different and it, curiosity and exploration and all these different kinds of things. So I think, um, you know, John Ritchie's numbers is huge for me. Uh, as I said, with Eileen Miles, I think Eileen Miles's work over the years from Not Me. And then after I read Not Me, I, I actually was able to find earlier their very first books, Sappho's Boat and A Fresh Young Boys from the Plains. Um, but also then, you know, everything. Like I, there's, there's not a book of Eileen's that I haven't read. And so that's a voice that's been with me for, you know, Jesus, 30 years. Mm-hmm. A really long time like really in my head in my syntax um when I read I you know I just want to be one tenth as good as Eileen you know like you know it's sort of like Eileen's really the person who shaped me um on a sentence level mm -hmm. um and through that you know through I, Eileen's writing then like James Schuyler or Frank O'Hara the New York school writers and Eileen led me to writers like Dodie Bellamy and Kevin Killian who I studied with in San Francisco wow so um Eileen was always, Eileen was, like Eileen and Michelle T and Samuel Delaney really shaped my life. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are other writers today who are doing stuff that I feel like I'm just like in such a, um, 
I feel so close to like Garth Greenwell, particularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel so much kinship with his work and um, the the writer Paitem Stivachi, who wrote this book Crossing that came out last year. That's fantastic. And he also wrote this book, My Cat Yugoslavia, queer Albanian. He's awesome. Really, really cool guy. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really interesting writer. And um, like other writers like Edouard Louis, the French writer, History of Violence and the End of Eddie. I love his work as well. And, and I, you know, and I mentioned Sally Rooney. I, I'm just going to claim Sally Rooney is a queer writer and, <laughs> and say, I mean, Conversations with Friends is legitimately a queer book. And I, I mean, I will argue and I keep threatening to write an essay about this, that normal people is like a very gay book. Um, even though there's like not a gay in it, uh, except for the whole book is gay. I'll die on that hill. Um, anyway, all of which is to say like, there are a lot of younger, much younger writers writing today who I feel a lot of kinship with because I think that they're interested in the way that sex shapes people's lives and the way class and, and sex, sexual activity intertwine. So at the end of each episode, we like to ask, or each time we talk to an author, kind of a top five list of questions. And the first one is, <laughs> what is your most memorable fan interaction? Whether that's funny, weird, touching, we've had all kinds. I embarrass myself really badly by fanboying Susan Choi in the green room at the, um, at the Austin Book Fair. And she was a little bit like, okay and then I like kind of did it again at the Miami book fair and and then she was like okay I've seen you before like you're not she has you on a list somewhere at that point she was like I mean she was super nice I am like obsessed with her writing so I was I really did um I was like a it was like like I just I was like I love you like I had nothing interesting to say that's my most recent fan experience susan Choi. that's terrific yeah. yeah you're you're on a list somewhere for sure i know no i totally am oh my god it's really... not that person man. yeah um you know i think you you talked a little bit about this but who you know in the writing community people that you either looked up to or that you were just meeting who did you get to meet that you were really excited about and and, and it was great it was everything you hoped it would be you know what's kind of weird is it's like almost every writer that I've ever really looked up to has been amazing. Um, I, I haven't had those experiences where people have a shitty time with a writer. I mean, Samuel Delaney, you know, like I, I really, he was such a hero to me. He was so important to me as a, as a young person. And then when I got to not just meet him, but study with him at Temple in a graduate program, um, it was, you know, like five minutes in the hallway with him. You learn more about writing than like five years in some other program. Like he's, but he's also just like a really loving and kind person. We did this uh, queer and trans open mic. My my colleague Samuel Ace, he's a poet. He and I do this at Mount Holyoke every, this, this year was our fourth annual open mic. And we usually do it at the art museum and the students read and we get like, local queer and trans writers to come and we get great people because we live in you know western mass and there's a lot of people here um but this year we had to do it on zoom and i just put this call out to just tons of queer and sam did too just tons of queer and trans writer friends we knew like would you come and i just was like samuel delaney he always used to say when you're submitting work 
you know, submit to your top choice first and like go down the list. But, oh, you know, if you think if the New Yorkers are dreams, submit to the New Yorker. Yeah. Um, so I wrote to him as well as everybody else. You know, I mean, I wrote to like, you know, 30 people and we had amazing people like Tori Peters and Kava Akbar and a bunch of people said yes and came and they read a little bit and they stayed, hey, Gabriel, and they listened to the students and the students were blown away and totally like moved. But we had that thing where you couldn't see everybody. You could just see the person reading and the hosts um, because there were like a hundred people there. Yeah. But we agreed at the end, we would like, you know, uninvisibilize everybody. We would show everybody. That's the word. Um, <laughs> reveal everybody. So there's this big reveal at the end and Chip was there. Samuel Delaney came and oh. we were like, you want to read something? He's like, no, I just wanted to be together. Oh, that's so cool. I just come, and it's just like that spirit of community. Yeah. You know, it's so powerful. And I think, um, I think it was extremely moving for my students, but it was moving. It was so moving for us. Like we all just like kind of died <laughs> in a good way. How would you say your love or joy of reading has changed since you became a published writer? Well, when you see how the sausage is made, <laughs> I mean, you all know how the sausage is made. Yeah. You're like, all right. That person is a publicist. Um, you know, I mean, I think I, I worked in publishing uh, out of college. Um, I worked at NYU Press for a number of years in, in marketing. Um, I was a bookseller um, at Dog Ear Books in San Francisco and Robbins in Philly and... Um, now Voyager and the Third Eye in, in Provincetown. I may have worked elsewhere too. I've worked in a number of bookstores. You know, I've worked in publishing as a marketing person. Um, I teach creative writing. So I, I'm a gatekeeper. I've been an editor at Fence for a number of years. You know, reluctantly or not, I'm seeing on the inside all of the ways that things become canonical or they become noticed or, you know, and having a book that came out on a very small but mighty press, Rescue Press, yes. um, and seeing the way in which, but I came out in a small press world too. I did zines and then I did chapbooks. I had a little uh, press called Pocket Mist that I did these these retellings of mythology with other people um, in the early aughts. Uh, and... And so like, I've seen lots of different parts of publishing. This was when Paul was, when I got an agent after it had been out on rescue for a year and when my wonderful agent um, sold it reprint to vintage, which then, you know, rescue gets half of that in perpetuity. So they get half the advance and half the royalties. It means that more obscure or innovative or, you know, more poetry books get, you know, like rescue does really, really good work and they make beautiful objects. And so I'm delighted that this has benefited them. See, and the people I've worked with at Vintage and at Picador in the UK have been phenomenal. Like they've been really wonderful humans. And the whiting has been amazing and working with everybody there, like learning about how all of that stuff works. There were things I didn't know about from being a bookseller or a teacher or working in university press publishing. It is startling to, like, what happened with American Dirt seems, like, totally obvious to me that that would happen. It's, like, things are sort of ordained to be bestseller. Yeah, to be the next. Thing. Yeah. Yes. And, and I think, you know, and I think that does a disservice to everybody. You know, her advance could have been a modest advance for 200 writers. Yeah. 
or more. I don't know. You know, like the whole thing is insane. Right. So all of that, um, like not even getting into anything about the book, just getting into the economics of it. It's disgusting. Yeah. And so I think that that, um, that sort of way in which the, the inequities, um, the systemic injustice that we're already dealing with is, it's just embedded in publishing, but then you see it and you're sort of like, why is this book that, now I'm not talking about American Dirt, I haven't read it, but why is this like totally fine book, Uh like the best book? Yeah. And why is this actually genius book nowhere but on the like coffee tables of my MFA friends? Yeah. Yeah, it's very, uh, very frustrating. Um, You have mentioned uh, a ton of books in our talk so far that all yeah happened. sorry no this is well, i'm like that portlandia yeah. skit reddit 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 <laughs> also i mean it's going to make our to be read piles even more yeah, unachievable bad. which is great good uh, thanks is, sorry yeah, is, <laughs> don't apologize is there a book either one that you've already talked about or one that you haven't that you think everyone should read Oh, that's easy. Yeah, I do. There's one book I think everybody should read. Yeah. It's Ursula K. Le Guin's The Dispossessed. There's no question in my mind. It's about this anarchist planet, Anaris, and there's this physicist, Shavak, who lives on this anarchist planet, and he is getting real far with the physics, and he's communicating with this archist planet, Urus, and the physicist there, and they, he gets a special dispensation to be able to go to the archist planet, and you get to see the anarchist planet and the archist planet. And it is the most profound vision of a different way to live that I've ever read. The anarchist planet is, you know, there's a pandemic on the anarchist planet. It's a great thing to read right now. The anarchist planet is difficult. People disagree. There is conflict. It, life is hard. People don't get to like do what they want. Like you don't live with your kids. There's things about it that are like brutal. And it is a life-changing vision of what could be possible if people actually all took responsibility for our own lives. Wow. And if we just jumped in. And I, I literally tell, it's like an easy, easy, easy answer. I tell all my students, there's one book you ever read again in your life. This is the one book. That's, Aaron, I don't think we, but we've talked to a number of authors and everyone struggles with this question. That's yeah, that was like cool the quickest one. Ready yeah. to go. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. I've given away so many copies of it, you know. <laughs> I love this book. Um, it's fantastic. Yeah, read it. Okay, so that we end all of our episodes with our favorite current pop culture obsession. So is there anything right now you're watching, TV, movie, music, anything that you're like, this right now, this is it for me? Well, I already mentioned that. My partner and I have been watching The Expanse, although we're waiting desperately for the next season, and same with Star Trek Discovery. But um, there, she has certain limits uh, in terms of like what, like, like what she can do. Trashy shows to watch. So I am. I just finished the third season of Legacies by myself, and I will tell you that I've seen every episode of The Vampire Diaries. And I came about that honestly because I watched a couple episodes, and I was like, "This is maybe weirdly good." And then Kelly Link, the writer Kelly Link, was like, "I'm obsessed with Vampire Diaries." And then I was like, "Oh, it's allowed." <laughs> Fully allowed. Eight seasons yeah. later, yeah. I'm not even kidding. I watched four seasons on book tour last year. Oh my god. Yeah, on planes. I was just like, oh, I'm I'm in a taxi. No, I'm in Mystic Falls. <laughs> no. So Legacies is a spinoff 
Okay. Legacies is like the spinoff of the spinoff. The spinoff was the originals. Oh. I'm saving that for when I'm really desperate. Okay. <laughs> but Legacies is like, it's a little bit annoying because it's like high school. So it's like Harry Potter or whatever, but it's like super queer. Oh. So I also have that, you know, very typical thing where I'll just like watch anything with gay content. Um, <laughs> and we did just watch, I also say we just watched Normal People, which was really okay. beautifully done. Yeah, Unbelievable. For that, knowing you loved the book, did it? Love the book, loved the show. Okay, so it was a good match. Great. I was it. nervous. I loved the book too, and I've been nervous to watch it. So Don't be nervous. Watch it. It's great. Okay. okay. Tell me what you think. Okay. Yeah, I don't mind fighting with people. My my best friend and housemate Jordy Rosenberg. Um, we are we actually constantly fight about whether or not something is good. Like <laughs> well, good, it means like you know he's like listen to this like noise punk, and I'm like listen to this the shins. There you go. You know what I mean. So <laughs> he's like your taste is trash. I'm like your taste is unlistenable. <laughs> it sounds like a fun, fantastic friendship. Yeah, no, it's good. He's, he's a wonderful human and writer. And people should read his book, Confessions of the Fox. Yes, I did read that one. I, so good, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the interplay with the footnotes and everything. Oh, it was fun. Yeah. It was and very occupying for someone who is quarantined and able to read. Well, Andrea, thank you so much. This was so fun. This really was a delight. Excellent. Are you also having the thing where you're just so happy to talk to anybody who doesn't live in your yes. house? I love the people who live in my house so much. And I'm just like, hi, other person. Whew. Hello. Aaron and I have been talking about how we've been doing things that we don't recognize ourselves. Like suddenly Aaron's been mushroom hunting and suddenly like I... Awesome. Yeah. Like things that we, you know, nature and stuff. Outside of my comfort zone, for sure. Like a hike, that's not nor my normal. So. Same. Oh my God, I'm yeah. an indoorsman. I do not. Yeah, yeah. me yeah. too. And it's that sounded hard. good. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is, things are going weird up here. <laughs> yeah. But well, we planted a peach tree yesterday. Whoa. I know. Wow. I mean, I didn't do it. I just dug the hole. <laughs> That's part of the Yeah. But then I was just like so virtuous. I was like, I can do whatever <laughs> I want. After our child goes to bed, I can just do whatever I want because I dug a hole. I can walk yeah. like it's all I want. I planted a peach tree, so. Right? <laughs> that is pretty impressive, though. I know. It was impressive. I mean, you know, it's like very small. Doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah, I planted a peach Thank tree. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thank you for that. In our minds, it was fully grown and already yeah. producing fruit. I, yep. I love that picture that you have. <laughs> really? Thank you. No, we really appreciate this. Thank you yeah. so much. This has been a delight. Yeah. So nice. Right. Well, good luck with homeschooling. as you can and, and good luck with all of the many things you're doing. And I'm, I'm, I always love listening all to you. Of it, so. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. So Aaron, that was our conversation with Andrea Lawler. It was a damn delight. It was a damn delight. It was so fun. <laughs> it was. And we uh, prior to this, we have only talked to authors via audio, but this time around, we talked to Andrea via Zoom, and it was so much fun. It was. It really added something. I was. I'm not a love. I don't love the visual all the time. No, I no. think because of myself. But it was great to be able to see everyone and converse, and loved it.
Yes. And one thing Andrea kept doing was recommending a book and then showing us the book from the bookshelf next to the desk where Andrea yes. was recording, which was great. I love the visual aids. It was terrific. It was terrific. Yes. It was fantastic. I love seeing that little bit of insight. Yes. Yes. And there was like a secret door behind Andrea yeah. that their partner kept coming in and out. So we got a little glimpse of quarantine life too. Yes, we yes. did. Yeah. I forgot about that. That was great. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I loved the part um, when they were talking about reading classic dusty library books because they might have dirty parts you and just it. skipping to the dirty parts. Like, I love thank that. you for calling out what so many of us did. Yes. We all searched for smut. I speaking, we were talking about the showing the books and the secret door and if there's one way to just put yourself in my heart it is showing me your tbr piles that are all over the house that yes. makes me feel so good yeah andrea has tbr piles in the office in work office like multiple places so it was very cool to know yes yeah very I also liked I also liked that Andrea readily admitted that they are struggling with reading right now and that there shouldn't be shame about it. Mm -hmm. Andrea just said like, we're all going through a global trauma. We got to get it out of our heads that we should be productive, that we should be reading more. Like it's fine. Just watch TV. Absolutely. And coming off the episode we did about talking about our own reading struggles, it was really nice to hear someone else say that they're in the same boat. Someone yes. else that has immersed themselves so much in books and literature, and um, I'm sure they find a very uh, nice connection to that in you know everyday life. And I felt that that's really weird for me too. So I was really glad to hear that somebody else had that going on. Yeah, absolutely. I liked, um, towards the end of our interview, um, uh, Andrea was absolutely gracious, of course, and such a fun, willing participant and everything. And then they admitted readily, like, it's just so nice to talk to people outside the house right now. <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's exactly. Nice another human, even if it's just via Zoom. And then they said that they planted a peach tree. Yes. <laughs> And I was like, okay, well, you win quarantine because I've done nothing <laughs> to help yeah. move society forward. Yeah, Andrea Lawler wins quarantine. So mm -hmm. that's done. That's decided. I One other thing that I think is that you and I often um, talk a lot ahead of time about if an author is going to enjoy us or enjoy our brand of humor or our brand of weirdness. And can I tell you that Andrea was perfect. So perfect. Yeah, so funny, so easy to talk to, so comfortable. It, it was really tough. felt like just a conversation. It was great. Yeah, and it's it's true. I think you and I, maybe just because of who we are, we second guess ourselves sometimes. Um, just for our listeners' benefits, we're just oftentimes we're just reaching out to authors that we love and saying, "Hey, you know, we would love to talk to you. Would you be interested?" And here's what we do. So we're letting them know, you know, kind of what our show's about and, you know, how to listen and all that kind of stuff. So it, it shouldn't be a surprise that people are interested to join us if they like what they hear. But, you know, we second guess ourselves and we think, oh, they're probably just trying to do us a solid and not, you know, really enjoy us. But it, it was terrific. Andrea was so game, so fun. 
Yeah, it really was. It felt very much like a conversation that you could have with a good friend. Yeah. That's what I felt like. So I guess now I'm just saying that they're my good friend. Yeah. I think. Because <laughs> I'm sure that's not creepy. <laughs> so two things, Andrea Lawler, <laughs> we're coming for you. You're our friend, whether mm-hmm. you want to be or not. Mm-hmm. And maybe even an honorary broad. I don't know. I mean, is that Done. Yeah. okay? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. So, no. I mean, I hope they're not afraid of our enthusiasm and energy, but you know what? Either. It doesn't matter. That's where we're at. Exactly. Yeah. We love We you. brought it. This is all that you can ask for. <laughs> <laughs> so we will be back next Wednesday with our regular weekly themed episodes. And in the meantime, you can head to our website, broadsandbooks.com and check out all of those episodes and our bonus episodes. If you subscribe now, you'll get them all direct to you. They'll just appear. Just appear. Magic. Magic. Yes. (laughs) Boom. Happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open? The dreams are, they're in me, and they're, they're coming out of me, and... Talk to me. I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. <laughs> because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.